Hello and welcome. I am so happy to have with me today Carolyn Williams, Dr. Carolyn Williams, and let me tell you a little bit about her. She is a PhD and registered dietitian, uh, a 2017 James Beard Journalism Award winner, and a leading culinary nutrition expert. She's developed a knack for breaking down complex science into simple, concise bits of information and tips. That's how I found her was all her great tips on Instagram. Uh, she writes for a, a variety of online and print publications on health topics, ranging from sleep to fasting to mental health, and a lot about anti-inflammatory foods. She's considered a, leaning, a leading nutrition expert on chronic inflammation and has, a, has two anti-inflammatory cookbooks. The first one is Meals That Heal, 100 Plus Everyday Anti-Inflammatory Recipes in 30 Minutes or Less. And she's got one coming out September 27th. Uh, one pot meals at heal. And I'm super excited about that one because I'm all about the one pot meal, especially like weeknights, right? When you want to cook and have good food, but you don't want it to be too many, too many dishes. <laughs> uh, she also co-hosts the Happy Eating Podcast, which explores the connection between diet, lifestyle, and mental wellness through candid, lighthearted conversations. Um, I'm in Minnesota. Carolyn is coming to us from her home in Alabama. Uh, where she lives with her two kids and she teaches at a local community college, culinary arts and nutrition courses. So welcome, Carolyn. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so glad to be with you today. Yeah. Well, one of the reasons I invited Carolyn was I on Instagram found her post about <laughs> top eight anti-inflammatory foods. And it's funny, I don't say this out loud in the clients that I coach, but we're we're using anti-inflammatory foods for weight loss because it's a really healthy, natural way to lose. And people always feel better when they eat that way. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about how, um, how anti-inflammatory foods help with weight loss? Yeah. You know, I think inflammation isn't something that most people usually associate with weight gain or weight loss, but it can play a, a really big role. Well, inflammation is involved in every chronic condition, including, um, you know, weight gain and carrying excess body fat. Um, but it's not something people tend to think about or think like, oh, that might be why I'm having a plateau or why it's just not budging like it seems like it should. Um, so anytime you carry a little excess weight on your body, body fat, um, that automatically generates some low-grade inflammation. And low-grade inflammation is what you hear referred to as the bad inflammation. Um, inflammation by design, as you know, is, is good. It it's, was created to, by the body to keep us healthy and heal us. But that's acute inflammation where, let's say you sprain your ankle and it's painful and it's, it's maybe red or, you know, or, right. um, and it goes away because that's what how inflammation was designed to work. It goes away once it's got your body on the road to recovery and healing or fighting off that bacteria or whatever it is. Um, chronic inflammation or low-grade inflammation is more subtle and it's triggered by lifestyle. So diet, um, you know, activity or lack of activity, stress, lack of sleep, mm -hmm. those kind of things. <laughs> and it doesn't, the problem with it is it doesn't go away it sticks around usually until you actually do something about it. Mm -hmm. um, so 
you know, a lot of us, I say not to, not to necessarily scare people, but I, pretty much all adults are going to have some level of low grade chronic inflammation in their body. It's just sure. more, it's a, it's, um, more, you need to manage it and keep it on that low level, you know, kind of on the oh. continuum at the lower end. Um, but when you gain weight or are carrying excess body fat, um, that automatically increases inflammation within the body. They've actually, you can, um, studies have looked at how it, um, blood inflammatory markers. And sure. when you're carrying that excess weight, those markers are higher. Well, the problem with this is it kind of starts to create a snowball effect, a very quiet, subtle snowball effect. Uh But when you are carrying a little extra weight, a little or a lot, it doesn't matter, um, and then have this low-grade inflammation, well, that's going to push you more towards insulin resistance. Um, even though you may not realize it, but you may get more of those kind of, I call it the roller coaster, like with blood sugar, where you're up and down and, you know, you're really just, um, you know, almost, and I remember this from earlier in my life and my, my career, when I hadn't really figured out all the insulin and, and glucose stuff for me personally, yeah. but I felt like I was kind of like controlled by my glucose, you know, my ups and downs, you right. know, I was ready. So, um, you know, those, those are early signs of insulin resistance, but your body just isn't able to use the insulin that you have as well. And when it, when it can't do that, it can't, your body can't use that glucose and it's your fat burning system in your body is going to be delayed or slowed as well. So you've got, um, and then the problem with that is that insulin resistance, even early beginning stages are going to add to the inflammation. So you've got low grade inflammation, early insulin resistance, excess body fat, they're all kind of feeding each other. And then to top it off, um, weight gain or carrying excess body fat is associated with leptin resistance. And leptin is a hormone that most people don't know much about, but it's a really important one because it tells our brain when to eat. More importantly, it tells our body when to stop eating. Um, And it also tells the body when to slow up um, or slower, speed up metabolism. So yeah. you really want your leptin working right <laughs> or signaling <laughs> the right things if you're trying um, to lose weight. But research suggests that the functioning of your leptin becomes altered when you gain weight and you have low grade inflammation in the body. So with that, you know, it's just not setting the stage for things to really work with you. You know, maybe you're yeah. trying to eat the right things and be active and manage stress, but you know, it's hard when this hormone leptin, you know, isn't telling you the right things. Is not telling your metabolism to speed up or isn't telling your body to, Hey, you're full, stop eating, Right. you right. know? And it's just kind of, it's almost like a snowball effect. Like you just start rolling down the hill and it's, you know, it makes it really, really frustrating. Um, whether no, you're trying to lose five to 10 pounds or you're trying to lose, you know, 100. 50 to 60, it doesn't yeah, matter. It's yeah. frustrating. Um, and so, you know, I tell people to think of low grade inflammation is kind of like an irritation in your body, mm-hmm. like a small like irritation, or I like the, um, 
like a small fire in your body. And it kind of stays contained, but as it grows, it, those ambers or those flames from the fire are going to kind of spread and inflammation mm-hmm. is going to grow in the body if you don't get it, get it under control. Um, so, you know, essentially when you've got this low grade inflammation and you're just feel like you're beating your head against the wall with all your healthy habits and not getting anywhere, a lot of times it means the body, the body needs to calm down. The body needs like to chill out. Um, it needs, you know, it needs these irritations to kind of slowly go away. And a lot of times those immediate irritations are what we're putting in the body, our stress, our stress plays a huge one. Um, you know, it's particularly when it comes to, to weight, um, sleep, sleep is sleep is, I, I think sleep is probably okay. my top health habit, because I know for me personally, if I don't get a good night's sleep, that affects what I eat the next day that affects my yes. workout or if I make my workout, it affects how well or capable I am of managing my stress. Yeah. So, you know, and when you don't get adequate sleep, research associates that with um, weight gain or even, you know, the inability to lose weight. So it's all. Yeah, we talk about that in my program as well, that the sleep is so important too. Now, if you actually eat anti-inflammatory foods, can you, can you make a change? Yes. Um, And, you know, what's so funny to me, and you may find this too in your practice, I think we've just been trained by kind of diet culture. The first thing people always say to me when they want to reduce inflammation for joint pain or or whatever, they just want to reduce inflammation. So say, okay, what do I need to cut out? What do I need to stop eating? (laughs) And it always blows their mind because I circle them back to, okay, first off, we're not focusing on what you're cutting out. We are, we will, but we aren't focusing on that. Let's focus on adding. People don't realize how much power there are in the nutrients and compounds found in those good foods. And, you know, yes, you may be getting some of the quote unquote bad stuff that's causing inflammation, but I guarantee most people are not getting near enough of the good stuff. So I tell people, let's start by loading up on those anti-inflammatory foods, which when I, when we go through them, they're not going to surprise people. They're good for everything, you know, and it's largely because of their anti-inflammatory effects that they're associated with positive, um, positive things, uh, in the body. So they're not, they're not probably not going to surprise people, but there's so much power in them. And I think people forget that. So let's start loading the diet with more of those. And then what you automatically find a lot of times is some of those bad, or I call them inflamers in your diet that you may have. When you start adding the good stuff, you automatically decrease some of those inflamers Mm -hmm. some naturally. So it doesn't feel as much as like deprivation or you can't have this. Um, if, you, if you're getting the good stuff, it naturally cleans up your diet a little anyway. And then, you know, down the road, once you've adopted these eating habits or more of these anti-inflammatory eating habits, then yeah, we might want to take a look at, you know, you know, maybe you've got a really bad diet soda habit, you know, so let's focus on that a little, you know, let's, um, but, you know, let's focus on the good stuff first. Yeah. I think that really resonates with me too, because the people in my program, when they start building their meals, And like I said, we haven't, I don't say this out loud often enough that this is an anti-inflammatory eating style, but when they build the anti-inflammatory meals, um, they start to lose some weight naturally, but also I can't tell you how many people say, oh, 
I thought I was going to have painful knees walking up and down stairs for the rest of my life. And that went away. Or I had this pain when I exercised and that went away now that I eat these foods. And so there's really, I mean, there's hope for weight loss. There's hope for just feeling better. You see skin irritations clear up. If you're having, you know, maybe you've been bloated lately when you eat a lot of times you see that, but you know, just little, and you know, that's, what's hard with inflammation is, um, it's like those little subtle things that, you know, something's not quite right with your body, but it's not near bad enough to ever go to the doctor for. So we just kind of brush them off. But Mm -hmm. I like, I like to say, those are kind of the little red flags. Like you start notice, like you've got a new kind of digestive issue that maybe comes and goes and you can't really pinpoint anything, but that's sometimes a little red flag. Your body's waving like, Hey, there's some inflammation going out, you know, let's get this yeah. calmed down again. It's like a continuum. So you're just trying to stay at the lower end of that right, inflammation right. continuum. And then when it goes away, people are just like, Oh, I don't want to put up with that anymore. You know, yes. I can down my stairs now and I like it. You know, I love it when that happens and people can actually see that connection between diet because, you know, like think about weight loss. It is, it, it is slow and gradual. Um, which is what it's supposed to be is, you know, to, to keep it off, but, um, it gets a little frustrating that you don't see those instant results, but adopting more of these foods, these anti-inflammatory foods and cutting out some of the inflamers, you can see if you stick with it a few days, people start to see almost instant, just small little things. Um, and joints are often one of the first places you see it. Yep. Yep. I love that. Well, let's talk about these eight eight anti-inflammatory foods that you had in your post on Instagram. And we'll talk a little bit about um, some practical tips. Cause like you said, they're, they're not things that will surprise people, but let's talk about the, the questions that we get about these. Okay. So let's start with leafy greens. You know, I get, I get some eye rolls about leafy greens. Um, so how can we make leafy greens really easy? You know what? I'm going to, I started rolling my eyes to it, leafy greens because <laughs> when I was researching, going through all the research for my first um, cookbook, Meals That Heal, um, I just, it's very important to me that I am just so thorough in my research and uh-huh. knowledge. And I just kind of have to do a deep dive, you know, into all the research and then come back up to the service be like, okay, what does this mean for, for my next door neighbor, for my mom? You know, how do I translate yeah. this to, you know, something people actually want to read or know about. Um, but the the first three foods we're actually going to talk about, the first three categories, those and leafy greens was the number one. Mm-hmm. Those were the foods when I was going through the research that I just got so sick of seeing. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> and leafy greens were the top one. You know, I was just like, oh, y'all, give me another food. Give me another food group. <laughs> Other than leafy greens and all spoilers, berries and cruciferous vegetables, and we'll get to those. But those were the three that you just could not ignore because they there's just so much research on them, and there really is a lot of research on leafy greens. But I think people think that means salads, and rabbit food, yeah. You know, um, it doesn't necessarily. My, um, you can throw them into a smoothie. But where I really kind of sneak them in, um, you know, during the day or during the week is um, I will, if I'm making like a saucy skillet dish, then I really, baby spinach is one I buy every week because Mm -hmm. 
You can serve it raw, like as a salad mm -hmm. or in a smoothie, but you can also, it wilts very quickly. You can throw it in at the last minute when you're cooking. So that's one I will throw in at the end of like a saucy skillet dish. Sometimes I will even, maybe if it's a dish, a casserole or a skillet dish or something that I'm serving my kids um, over rice, then I'll just do a bed of um, like baby spinach and serve mm -hmm. mine over that. And it naturally wilts. Um, right. you know, so, you know, it's just little things like that, just kind of rethinking or, and it doesn't have to be a whole serving at a time, you know, even a little handful that you throw on your sandwich or your wrap. That's great. You know, um, yeah, I'm all so about that, not measuring or worrying too much about that. I also will put a handful in my eggs in the morning when I'm having yes. it because it's, That's again, it wilts really easily. So it's just there and yeah, it's so good. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Um, you know, but if you can aim for around a cup a day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, if you're throwing some in your eggs and then maybe you're, you know, having a little with your dinner, you've got your cup. Right. Um, you know, so aim for a cup a day. Yeah. I love that. And I even have a, I have a, one of my college kids hates salad. Uh, they call salad dressing salad sauce. And they're like, why would anyone eat this wet? You know, really <laughs> grossed out by it. But we'll eat it. Um, that kid will eat it, you know, mixed into a dish or, and also we'll put it in a sandwich. Yeah. Um, it's not, you know, because wilted is fine. And, um, you know, in a sandwich, not wet is fine yeah, as well. That's funny. But the, yeah. But you don't have to like salad to, to mix these in, you know? Yeah. And I think that brings up a great point that um, pertains to all these foods we're going to talk about. It's not all or nothing. So yeah. maybe you don't get a cup in or more a day. Okay. That third or half a cup is better than nothing, yeah. you know? So we, we tend to have an all, or I, I have an all or nothing and think, oh, I can't get it all in or get that whole workout in or, you know, but so um, any little bit is good. Right. Okay, let's talk about berries. You recommend about two to three cups a week. So practically, how do you how do you like to work berries into your day? You know, berries are one of the ones I find easier to do. I love the fresh right now um, mm -hmm. because um, they're so good right now. But mm -hmm. winter will be coming. Um, and, you know, I'm really into raspberries right now. And they've been on the organic ones have been on sale. So, you know, I'll just grab those when I'm working in the afternoon or at night. And before I know it, almost eat a container um <laughs> or throw them on yogurt or um or things like that but you can also do frozen and a lot of times frozen are as nutritious maybe even more nutritious than your fresh right. because your frozen are going to be flash frozen pretty quickly after they're harvested versus the fresh potentially getting on a truck and traveling you know from California across the country <laughs> and then sitting on the grocery store shelf because once a fruit or vegetable gets picked or when it's picked, um, it's at its prime nutritionally, it's at its max potential nutritionally. So from there on out, it slowly loses nutrients, but when you freeze berries or produce that halts the, the nutrient loss. Nice. You know, I so, live in a place that's very cold in the winter, of course. Right. So, um, I love the frozen berries in the cold season because I, I heat them up and then I have them with, you know, some full fat Greek yogurt or just as yeah. a side, some cinnamon sprinkled on top. And, and it's so warming on a cold yeah. day. I adore that. 
Yeah. So in two to three cups, that isn't a ton, you know, that's a half to two thirds of a cup, a couple of times a week, you know? So, um, yeah. Okay. Cruciferous vegetables are, are stinky vegetables. Um, really it's funny. Our kitchen is near our mudroom. And if you've cooked a cruciferous vegetable, it smells like feet in the the mudroom. I mean, they really, you know, if you don't put the pan on, if you get to put the pan on it, they linger. (laughs) I tell people like, that's kind of your tip off. If it stinks when it's cooking, it's usually a cruciferous vegetable, but, and it's those sulfur compounds in cruciferous vegetables, like broccoli, um, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts kale it's sulfur compounds which is why you get the odor but those sulfur compounds also have the um, anti-inflammatory and disease preventive qualities in them as well and that's why they're so good so you know aiming to get about five servings a week um Mm -hmm. just work them in when you can um you know just make a point to to work them in right and i think it's a super um it's also, you know, I'm not a, I'd like, I try to avoid being a food judge in general, but it is a superfood for women in perimenopause, menopause. I mean, this is your, this is your thing. You should be planning your week around is your cruciferous yeah. vegetables and it per- so much better. Yes. And particularly if, um, for cancer prevention, there's a yeah. lot of research around the cruciferous vegetables and anti-inflammatory properties and possibly, um, you know, cancer, um, prevention or risk reduction. And if you can share, Carolyn and I have our, have the same favorite way of cooking cruciferous vegetables. So if you would share that. (laughs) Oh yes. Um, roasted. That's almost always how I do them. I haven't, I don't think I've cooked them in another way in a long time, unless it's been like on a sheet pan dish or something, but that was kind of roasted. I love them roasted and I will even cook like broccoli. Um, do it like at the start of my meal or when I start cooking dinner and I'll pull it out of the oven because you get it really, they, the outside caramelizes and gets kind of crispy. And, um, you know, I found my family will walk by and start snacking on them <laughs> on the broccoli. And so, you know, by dinner time, we don't have a ton left, but I'm fine with it because it's yeah. snacking on broccoli, you know? Yeah. Um, so good. So, yeah, yeah. I get people who don't generally like some of these vegetables and they'll eat it at my house or I'll have brought it to a, you know, a family dinner. And yeah. say, what did you, how did you make that? Cause you know, my family ate that and they never eat, you know, cauliflower or whatever it is. And it's always yeah. just roasted with some olive oil and salt. Yes. And, yeah. Don't give up on vegetables until you've tried them roasted. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So you also talked about gut health promoters and mm-hmm. I, I started just bringing sauerkraut and or kimchi to the table because my family will eat it, take a little bit and eat it with their meal. Um, but one of the ones you talk about in your post is kombucha. And I get a lot of questions about kombucha. And sometimes I don't know what to say because the sugar levels are, are really variable. And I don't know, what, what can you tell us about kombucha and how to so, well, I will say first, it took me a long time to find a kombucha that I liked because they, some of them can have a very vinegary taste to them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to have a little acidic taste. Um, So I was so proud of myself when I found a brand that I really, really just loved. (laughs) And I will, um, that is something I try to get in every day. And I found I really like to kind of make it 
like a kombucha cocktail. I'll put it over ice and then I'll add a splash of pomegranate or cranberry or cherry juice to it just to kind of soften some of the fizzy or um, maybe acidic tones. Um, And I really enjoy sipping on it um, late in the day. Um, You know, people worry about the sugar a lot and it does vary a lot um, in there. But the first thing people need to remember is um, these, the probiotics are created or or nourished during the fermentation process. And so you've got to have some natural sugar in there for the fermentation process. Right. Um, So, you know, I look for one, like if it's eight fluid ounces or a cup, you know, I really don't want to see more than, you know, like 15 grams of sugars or carbohydrate um, in there. And then you're not, you don't necessarily have to drink the whole bottle. You know, I think, you know, there's a big study that came out last summer from Stanford, I think, Mm -hmm. and um, looking at just the benefits that getting probiotic rich food has. And, um, you know, they're serving, they called one serving two thirds of a cup, six fluid ounces. Oh gosh. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not a ton. That's not a ton. Um, you know, and I think with like the kimchi and sauerkraut, it was a fourth a cup. So we're not talking huge amounts here. So, you know, if you, even if you are watching your total carbs, um, if you plan right, this isn't something that's going to make or break your diet, um, or break your diet. Um, it's something you can definitely work in. And I think it's something that's worthwhile to, to work in. Okay, great. And actually in my program, we don't count anything. So we, oh, that's uh, great. yeah, so we, uh, so it's good to know though, how to, how to use that. And actually, I love that idea of the, like the mocktail. I totally want to try that. Yeah. And, and it's good to know too, that, that when you try kombucha for the first time, that there are so many different tastes that if yeah. you find, if you don't like the first one you try, try some other ones and yeah. It's just an experimentation process for a while there. And I really, I was like, oh my gosh, I don't think I'm ever going to like this stuff. (laughs) And I need to. (laughs) That's great. That's great. Okay. Green tea. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite flavor of this or how does this work into your? I really don't. I'm big on adding like some citrus or citrus juice to my brewed teas, whether they're hot or cold. Um, But, you know, not really. Um, I just add lemon or lime or, you know, yeah. orange slices. Um, the one I think it's good to experiment with. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And again, I think this is one too, like they're going to vary slightly by brand, the flavor. Oh. So yeah, don't give up if you find one that you're just like, uh, I'm not crazy about this, you know, right, right. try another I brand. Like, lately, I like the, the jasmine green. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I tend to also just get sick of something after I've had it for a while. So True. fun from there. But it's Same a nice here. thing to have in between meals. Um, yeah. So I love that. So let's talk nuts and seeds. Now, I'm, I'm not a snacker. Mm-hmm. So if, what would you advise me, like, how to get nuts and seeds into my week when I'm, I'm not going to have them as a snack? Yeah. So, and, I, and I'm not a big snacker, too. If I'm hungry, then that's usually my sign that I need to eat something. You know, um, substantial or you know, a meal. Um, but um, you know, you can work them into your dishes, particularly like if your salads. I love sprinkling, you know, toasted nuts on top of a salad just to add crunch and just extra flavor and some good fats. 
Um, but your other option is like, you know, if you're going into a meal, maybe you're really hungry going into the meal, having a handful of nuts, like before you eat your meal, particularly mm-hmm. if you're really, really hungry, can be a great way just to kind of satisfy some of that hunger. So you're more able to make better choices during that meal or for that meal, um, can be a great way. And then, um, you know, Greek yogurt is, um, a great, um, vehicle to put nuts on nuts and berries, toasted Mm -hmm. almonds, walnuts, that type of thing. Um, you know, and you're not talking again, you're not talking about a ton of nuts, um, that you need. Um, it's a half to one ounce per day, which isn't a lot when you actually stop and measure that out. Mm, Yeah. So you can just sprinkle on top and, and it adds a nice crunch too, without, you know, some of the times where, you know, I've moved away from some of the granolas that are on the shelf because of the, because they're just so very sweet. Um, And so, but you can get that crunch with the nuts. So I like that. Yeah. And then that, that crunch can substitute like for croutons on a salad and, um, you know, so. I love what you said about using it when you're kind of over coming to a meal overly hungry, because that's a, that's a, we all face that sometimes we've mm-hmm. been delayed to our meal or, you know, whatever happens, or we just underfed ourselves at the, at the early. Yeah. Or maybe you can't get your, you're ready to eat, but you can't get to that meal for like an hour. You know, I think nuts are a great option yeah. um, because of their satiety factor. And, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to feel like you will after a complete meal, but it will get you to that meal. Um, without feeling totally famished and just, okay, ready to eat the whole table. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> okay, we've got two more to go. Um, extra virgin olive oil. Some people understand what that means and some people don't. So can you explain what the extra virgin, what does that mean and why, why would we want to pick that one? Yeah, so essentially extra virgin olive oil is um, very minimally pressed um, olives or very minimally pressed olive oil. So they take the olives and usually it's a first pressing. And so they're getting all of the initial good stuff out of the olive oil. And then it's not, it's much less refined and much less processed than a lot of like, you're just, you know, olive oil or olive oil blends out there. And from an anti-inflammatory perspective, um, olive oil has a compound in it called oleocanthal which is an anti-inflammatory compound that's only found in olive oil. And you're fi- you find much higher levels in your extra virgin. And some of the um, studies have even, there was one or two that compared oleocanthal to having the anti-inflammatory effects that are comparable to aspirin or ibuprofen, wow. um, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, so use extra virgin, um, when you are doing anything raw salad dressings, marinades, anything like that. And then for low to medium heat, um, don't use it though above medium heat. Cause it will start to, to break down. Great. Great. Thank you. That's super helpful. Cause it's, it's worth noticing on the label, which one that is. And yeah, and that's, those are the reasons why terrific. Yeah. So the last one we have is fatty fish and the classic one that I think of, of course, is salmon, but are, are there also other fatty fishes you would recommend? You know, and I really have to put that is in there primarily for the omega-3s that pretty much all Americans are lacking or most Americans are lacking in their diet. And yeah. omega-3s are 
you know, there's lots of different nutrients that work in anti-inflammatory capacities, but Mm -hmm. omega-3s are one of the clearest to see, um, just almost an instant anti-inflammatory effect, but you need the omega-3s that come from fish or algae, the, um, and those forms are DHA and EPA. So that's why you want the fatty fish or the fattier seafood or the cold water seafood, cold water seafood is usually going to have more fat to keep okay. the, mm-hmm. the um, shellfish or fish alive. So like there's some oysters that actually are a good source of omega-3s. Um, any kind of fish that ha- that seems a little, um, has a little more oil, oil to it or okay. a little fattier. So mackerel, sardines, um, you know, there's any of those cold water fish, um, are going to be good. And then salmon is a, is a great one. Yeah. And then, so how can people, is there a way for people who don't eat fish to get the algae in their food? I mean, I've seen it in supplements, the omega-3 vegan algae supplement, but can people, is there a easy way at the grocery store to find algae? You know, I am not a big fish eater. I have to admit. Okay. Um, So I do, I um, take an omega-3 supplement, but I tell people what you want to look for is you want to look for one that is predominantly made with EPA and DHA. So turn it over to the back. um, And I want the one that I take is about, I may get this backwards, but about 40% DHA, 60% EPA or vice versa, but there's really little other, there's not much ALA. There's, you know, about 98 to 98% is made up of those, um, of EPA and DHA as the omega-3 fatty acids in it. Great. Great. Nothing that I love about the fatty fishes are, um, we forget sometimes to put enough healthy fat in our meals and this, yes. and I like it because it helps you not be hungry till the next meal. I work with a lot of professional women and they have busy days and they need to be, you know, fueled for the whole afternoon or, you know, the whole morning after they've had their meal and, and yeah, they've got stuff to do. So they need to, you know, feel not be thinking every two hours, I'm hungry, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So fatty fish are, are one of the great ways along with our extra virgin olive oil as well to keep you going to get your stuff done. Definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you going through those. Um, there, uh, I hope, you know, I, I, there's some really good tips there, I think for our audience. Good. I always love sharing. And again, you know, pick one or two, uh, you know, don't, right. don't try to do all these overnight and just work on slowly adding and being consistent with that adding. Yeah. I'm sure there's something in the list that our listeners are thinking, oh, you know, I I could add that or have that a little more often or. Yeah. So hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Well, let's, you know, I appreciate you coming and talking today and this will be on our podcast and on YouTube. So uh, we'll, I will post in social media kind of what your contacts are, but please tell us um, where people can find you on socials. Um, and where your po- what the name of your podcast again, so that people who are just listening in yeah. the car can can find you. Okay, well, I am most active on Instagram, and uh, my handle is at Real Food Real Life underscore RD. Um, you should also be able to search under my name, which is Carolyn Williams. Um, 
to um, to find me as well. Um, and my new book, Meals at Heal One Pot, will be coming out September 27th. So you can find it in, should be able to find it in any major bookstore um, online or um, in person starting then. But you can go ahead and pre-order um, now, starting now. And I think if you pre-order, you'll actually get it maybe a few days, a little before that September oh, 27th nice. date. And you can pre-order you know, online, any of your major retailers, Amazon, it's available everywhere. If you just search meals that heals, meals that heal one pot. Terrific. Thank you so much. Thank and tell, you. Me, tell us the name of your podcast again, too, for our oh, yes. podcast listeners. Yeah. So I host, um, co-host Happy Eating. Uh, it's the Happy Eating Podcast, and I co-host it with Briley Horton, who is another dietitian, and she's the former food nutrition director for cooking light magazine. Um, and we really got intrigued with the whole connection between lifestyle and food and mental wellness. Um, just when we were doing our own research, we couldn't find the answers that we need. And we thought, why is everybody acting like the brain isn't part of the body and isn't affected by food, you know? Um, but we also take a very lighthearted approach. It's a serious topic, but we try to make it very fun and approachable and, you know, um, we're very candid. Um, so. Well, I appreciate you doing that work too, because it's so important in our Thank modern you. times and, and, um, and it's always nice to talk to someone else who believes that food is medicine and that we are going to feel better when we eat the foods that serve our bodies and nourish us and yes. in our bodies and our, and our minds. So thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for having me.